0: in prayer. Holy Spirit, guard our spirits through the power of the gospel. Keep us closely connected to Jesus through his words and work. Teach us his truths and empower us with his strength. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning with verse 18, the Gospel of the Lord. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the gospel of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Memorial! <laughs> Sorry. Did I do that? Sorry about that. Good morning, Memorial. Let's try that again. You know, I have a very big mouth and loud voice, so I, I don't need as much volume, I think. If you have a Bible, we're going to turn just a little after that, where that passage was found in Luke 7, we're going to turn to Luke 10. For a, a very familiar story, Luke 10, 25 to thirty-seven. That's page sixteen, twelve, in your pew Bibles. It's good to be with you all. I was at Grace and Peace for six years, and so we've worked and done things together for many years. It's wonderful to uh, to actually be here with you on a Sunday. I've been here at other times, but it's great to be with you. I want to talk around the theme? I'm calling reversing the question. Reversing the Question. And it's actually taken from a line from Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in his very last speech on April 3rd, 1968, the night before he was assassinated. And then I'll explain the reference when we get into the message. But we want to look at this very, very familiar story. The parable of the Good Samaritan, which he referenced in that sermon. And talk around the theme, reversing the question. I'm going to read God's Word, beginning with verse 25. Pass passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him." Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is God's Word. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, Your Word is so good. We thank You for it. It testifies about itself that it's living and active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword, which means, Lord, thankfully, it's able to get beneath the surface with us. It's able to get to our thoughts, our minds, our attitudes, even our own hearts. And so we pray that you might do that in the time that we have together this morning. We pray that you would do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we confess that we can't even understand the words that we read unless... Your Spirit illumine that understanding. And Lord, we certainly can't live it out unless Your Spirit fill us with power. And that's what we're asking for. Holy Spirit, come. Be poured out on Your people today. Move in us. Fill us. So that we leave different people than we were when we came in. Empower us to do the things that we talk about today. For Your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. I mentioned before, uh, Dr. King was in Memphis, Tennessee, April the 3rd, 1968, and he was there for a a sanitation workers' strike. He was there. They were being treated very unjustly by the people there of Memphis, and so he was there on their behalf to lead a demonstration. And a lot of people know the ending of the sermon, right? If you go on YouTube and you Google it and you you, look it up, you say, mountaintop speech, because that's the way it ends. I've been to the mountaintop, and that's the most famous part of the speech. But about 10 minutes before he gets to the end, he refers to this parable in an amazing and powerful way. One of the things he says, he says, listen, in the story, you see the priest and the Levite, they see the man left for dead there in the middle of the road, and they ask themselves a question. They say, if we stop to help this man, what's going to happen to us? Maybe they're thinking that it it might be a trick, and, and maybe they're trying to ambush us, maybe... They're thinking we'll be found unclean if we touch the man and he's already dead and we won't be able to serve in the temple. It doesn't say why they didn't pass by. They they didn't stop, but they did. But then he said the Samaritan reversed the question and he asked a different question. The priest in Levi says if we stop to help the man, what will happen to us? But the good Samaritan reversed that and he said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And then he turned to his congregation and he said, that is the question before you tonight. The question before all of you who've come is not if we stop to help the sanitation workers, what's going to happen to us? The question for us is if we do not stop, what's going to happen to them? He called them to reverse the question. And those words still ring in our ears over 50 years later. The call to us, people of God, to still be a people that reverse the question. If we look outside of us or even within us, there are people that are suffering in many different ways. There are those that need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those that are suffering from poverty, from injustice, from ridicule, from being shamed, from oppression, from violence. People suffering with various kinds of idolatry. And so what do we do? The question for us is, not if we stop to help them, what's going to happen to us? The question is, if we do not stop, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to our brothers and sisters? What's going to happen to our neighbors? And so how does the passage help us with learning how to reverse the question in our lives and in our ministry? Well, it's going to pose three questions that we're going to ask and, and attempt to answer in our time together this morning. The first question is this. Where are we really seeking our justification? Where are we seeking our justification. What do I mean by that? Well, let's get into the text. I pull that from verse 29 in the text. Because remember, it says that the man who had come to Jesus, it said that he wanted to justify himself. And so that's why he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, what does that mean in a biblical sense? What does it mean? It means to be declared righteous before God in the sight of Almighty God, the ultimate judge. Well, how does he want to be declared righteous? Well, we have to go back in the story and look. Go back in verse 25. It says, This expert in the law, and this is an expert in biblical law. He comes up, and it says here, He stood up to test Jesus. And that word that's translated test, it's the same word if you go a few chapters earlier in Luke 4, when it talks about Satan testing or tempting Jesus in the wilderness. That's the same word, that's the same spirit that this expert in the law is coming to ask Jesus this question. Why would he come to him that way? Because he's trying to expose Jesus and say, this is really not a man who cares about God's word, because look at who he hangs out with. He could not be concerned about being holy and following God's word and spend his time with all these unclean people. Oh, if we would be charged with the same thing. They said, there's no way that, that he can be this person he purports to be. Well, how did he try to trap Jesus? uh, He asked him a popular question. He says, teacher, this is in verse 25. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I have to do to enter the kingdom of God? What do I have to do to get saved? Well, Jesus asked a question in reply. He says, what's written in the law, how do you read it? And the man answers with some very familiar passages from the Old Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. And with all your mind, they would pray this twice a day. These verses from Deuteronomy. And then this other passage from Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And that's where we come to verse 29. But he wants to justify himself. And so he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Why? What is he really asking? What's behind that question? What's behind that question is there is a category of non neighbor. And so he wants to be able to say, I'm following the law of God, but still I don't want to love these people. Whoever those people are. But so what, rather than have God's word come and exegete me and change the way that I'm living, I'm going to try and change around the meaning and interpretation of God's word so that I can say I'm following it without having to change my life at all. That's what he's saying. That's what he's doing. Why? Because he's seeking his justification in the wrong place. He's seeking it and trying to follow God's word perfectly in his own strength, in his own power. What about us? Where might we be trying to justify ourselves? Where is the place where We find ourselves being most offensive. To think about it another way. You know, in this time, one of the things that I've noticed is you do not want to be classified as a racist or a classist or a sexist. And it seems like people are, okay, you want to call me prideful and greedy and lustful even? Okay, that's fine. All right, you got me, But don't you dare (laughs) insinuate that I have a problem with race. Or, it, it, I treat, or how I treat people of a different sexual orientation or how I treat people who are from a different side of Del Mar Boulevard don't you dare insinuate that what is that a sign of maybe we're seeking our justification in the wrong place but wait you say we're PCA people we know where we find our justification right what does the catechism tell us how are we justified justification is what it is an act of God's grace, where, what happens? Come on, seminary students, where he pardons all of our sins, right? And counts us as righteous in the sight of God. Why? Only because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. And how do we get it? Only received by faith alone. Well, what that does is it frees us up to be able to say, I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to cover up. I don't have to hide places where I'm struggling, where I'm sinful and prideful because I'm seeking my justification in what God has already given me by His grace. And so that frees us to be able to look honestly. And so for us, the first question again, where are we really seeking our justification? What are we looking to to be justified? Are we looking to Jesus? Or are we looking to our own ability to live up to the law however we want to so that's question one second question that the text poses is this who are our Samaritans who are our Samaritans and that will make sense as we get into the passage but let's look at the story again earlier we talked about in, in the introduction we talked about what happened with the priest and the Levite they see this man there left for dead in the middle of the road and the priest comes along. One that you may ex- be expecting to help. But he sees the man, and he passes by on the other side. The Levite comes, same thing. He sees the man, and he passes by on the other side. Well, the dramatic turn of this story comes in verse 33. But a Samaritan, that is a person not expected to help. He's a religious and a racial outsider. But it says a Samaritan. As he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, when he saw him, he had a different reaction than the others. It says that he took pity on him. He's moved from the inside by the plight of this man left for dead in the middle of the road. But it doesn't stop there with just his his heart and how he's moved. Verse 34, it moves him to action. He went to him and and bandaged his wounds, which means he has to get close to him. And it says, pouring on oil and wine to be able to provide healing for the man's wound. But he doesn't stop there. It says, then he put the man on his own donkey. So that means now he's got to do what? He's walking. And it says that he took him to an inn and took care of him. Amazing care. But he's not finished. Verse 35, the next day, he took out two silver coins. And this is two days wages. And he gave them to the innkeeper. And then he says, look after it. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. He gives all that he has to try and meet the need of this man. He gives at great cost to himself. It's really ironic that the Samaritan, the religious and racial outsider, is the one who fulfills the law to love your neighbor. Isn't that interesting? He gives a powerful testimony of what it means to love your neighbor. But that's not all that's going on here. Jesus is after much more What do I mean? Well we know that Jews and Samaritans hate each other We see that in a few different places If one is coming down the road The other doesn't even want to touch their shadow And so they'll cross to the other side They can't stand to be around one another And so what Jesus is doing here Is he's exposing What's in the heart of the expert in the law Who came to trap him How does he do that? In his story he doesn't get into a philosophical or theological debate. He tells them a story. And in the story, he makes the hated one the hero. To expose what's in the heart of the Samaritan. I mean, of the Jewish person, the expert in the law. What about us? Some of you remember, I'm going to date myself now. There's a TV show that came on called The Jeffersons. Some of y'all have seen that. Maybe, or ask your parents about it, all right, if you haven't. If you, have it, you don't remember, you can just look it up on YouTube. Well, I remember there was one particular episode that it was so powerful. I remember um, that what happened, George is this African-American dry cleaner in New York City. He lives in an apart, a deluxe apartment that reaches to the sky. And one episode, he and his neighbors, they get these flyers that say there's a community... Uh, community meeting in their building but what they don't realize is it's really an undercover meeting of the Ku Klux Klan that's going to be in their building but they don't know that and so George and his friends they get the flyer, they're like, oh we should go to this this would be wonderful and so they decide, they go to this community meeting and the friends go first and and George comes in later and the meeting starts and the Klan leader is, is there at the podium and he's speaking and talking about how they what they have to do to clean up the building and then George walks in, and the room is packed, and the only seat that's up that's available is one that's right in the front. And so George, this African-American, short, loud-mouthed guy, comes walking in and sits right up at the front. And the Klan leader looks at him, and he looks at his assistant, and he's like, what in the world is going on here? But his assistant's like, I-, I don't know, just go ahead. And so he begins to speak, and he says, you know, we need to do something about the riffraff in our building. And George says, that's right. Clan leader continues, we've got to do something. These people are driving down our property value. George stands up. Amen. And then he looks at George sitting in that front row and he says, we're talking about you. And then George and the friends, they realize where they are. And what happens is George and the clan leader start to argue back and forth and then George is a hot-headed guy, and he takes off his, his jacket, and he gets up, and he's ready to fight with the guy. But then all of a sudden, the clan leader starts to wobble a little bit, and he grabs his arm, and he collapses. They're right on the stage in front. And the, his assistant and his son run over to him, and they try and wake him up, and they can't wake him up. And they go, wait, is there, is there anybody here that knows CPR? And it's quiet for a second, and then all of a sudden, there, there's one hand that goes up. Oh, Guess who's handed it? George's. And so George gets down and administers mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to the plan leader and saves his life. And then the next scene, this plan leader becomes conscious as the paramedics have come and they put him on the gurney and they're wheeling him out and he's wondering what happened. He goes to his assistant, his son, as they're taking him out. He says, what happened? What happened? They said, you fainted. There's your heart. You fainted. And And he saved your life and the clan leader looks over and he said, what, him, looking at George, he saved my life and then he says, you should have let me die and they wheel him out and his assistant tries to continue the meeting. But it's really powerful. It's amazing. What happens is everybody there gets up and they all file out one by one. They take the flyers and they throw them in the trash can, including the man's own son. Why? What happened? Their hearts have been revealed. How? By the hated one becoming in hero. Expose the hatred that's in their hearts. And that is exactly, exactly what Jesus did in this parable. When Jesus is telling the expert that story, the expert in the law is thinking, all right, a priest comes along, a Levite comes along, and what he's thinking next is someone like you comes along, and you're the hero of the story. But instead, Jesus chooses a Samaritan, his enemy, someone that he hates, and that person is the hero of the story. Exposing what's in the hearts of that. So again, the question that I asked at the very beginning, who are our Samaritans? Who is it for us that if Jesus were telling us that story, all right, a priest comes along, a Levite comes along, and then someone else comes along, and that person is the hero of the story. That person is the one who shows you what neighbor love really looks like. Who is it for you? Is it a person of another race? Or another side of Del Mar? person of a different age or gender or sexual orientation or political party? Who is it for you that if Jesus were telling you that story, you'd say, Jesus, no, not them. Anybody but them. Who is it for you? And you say, I don't want to think about that. Let's think for a second. Is the expert in the law in a good place right now? It doesn't feel like it, but he's in the best place. Because his heart is in the hands of the great physician. The one who can not only reveal what's wrong, but can also bring healing to that which is wrong in his own heart. And he can do the same with you. David's prayer is, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and Lord, lead me in the way everlasting, the best place to be. Is having our hearts exposed by the great physician, Jesus Christ. Who are your Samaritans? Bring that to Jesus. Lastly, we've asked, Where are we seeking our justification? We've asked, who are our Samaritans, we asked lastly, what will it look like for us to go and do likewise? What will it look like for us to go and do likewise? What do I mean? At the very end of the story, do you notice that Jesus reversed the question? You come to verse 36. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Do you remember the expert's question back in verse 29? His question was, who is my neighbor? But Jesus changes that around. He says, which one was a neighbor? He changes, noun from, he changes neighbor from just being a noun to being a bird. What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to love people no matter who they are? Because they're made in the image and likeness of God. What does it mean to be a neighbor? And I think that the guy got the point. Verse 37 says, The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Isn't it interesting he doesn't say the Samaritan? But he got the point, didn't he? It was which one? It was the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus told him, Go, you likewise. The mercy that you've seen in your enemy.'" That's the kind of mercy I want you to go and demonstrate. That's what it means to be a neighbor. And so what will that look like for us? How do we heed that challenge? Well, how did he? Well, first, if we look at the expert in the law, his heart went out to the man. His heart broke. He took pity on the man. Remember, it's, it's funny in the story. It tells us what the priest and the Levites saw, and then tells us what the Samaritans saw what the Samaritan saw broke his heart. Because he saw an image bearer of God being there in desperate need. He was able to put himself in that man's shoes regardless of his race, his class, his religious background, wherever he's from. Any of those things, his heart broke for the man in that position. Well, who are the hurting people around us? Who are the hurting people among us? Who are the ones in heartbreaking situations around us if we would just look, if we would just listen to what they say? So the first thing we see is his heart was broken, but not, but it didn't stop there. The other thing we see is he put a ha- put his hands to work on the man's behalf. He met the needs as much he was it, as he, he was able. He gave of himself until the need was met. Isn't it interesting that in the beginning, the lawyer is concerned about what's the least amount that I have to do? Right? He says, what do I have to do to get an A still? All right, just show me the syllabus and I'll do the least amount possible. But the expert in the law says, what's the most? I mean, the the Samaritan says, what's the most that I can do? To show love to the hurting man. So what are the needs around us? Out with them! Look out with them. What are the spiritual needs that people have around us. what are the needs for community that people have around us? What are the needs of poverty? what are the needs for justice that we see in the people around us? And then not only should we look outwardly we also look inwardly. What has God given us? How has God made us? how has God gifted us? How can we bring what we have not so that we have to do everything out there to solve every problem? But what has God given to us, and how has he made us, so that he can use us to minister to the needs around us? I'm so grateful for the way that you all care about the folks in the food pantry at Grace and Peace. I know those folks. There's some dear, dear folks that many of them love God, and they teach us about faith. A lot of times we come, and we look, and we say, oh, you know, those people that are poor, they just need God. And then we, because what we're saying is then they wouldn't be poor because then they'd be like us. But there's so much that we have to learn about what it really means to follow God and have faith from people who are poor and have 10 times the faith in Jesus Christ that we do. There's so much I learned from teaching a Bible study with folks who are coming to the food pantry about following Jesus. And so we need to participate not because they need us so much, but because we need them. Because we need the gospel personified in our own lives. How do we do that practically? Look at the needs, look at the opportunities for ministry around us. There's an incredible new church plant that's going to be starting just this afternoon. <laughs> And I praise God and thank God for you all's support already of that. Thank you so much. But the reason that that church is there is to be able to meet the needs and minister in the West End. That's why it's New City West End. That's the name of the neighborhood. And it's to be a neighborhood church. Think about all the different places where we can do that. Well, then you say, Pastor, that sounds great. But I've been trying to do that for 30 years. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm cynical. I've been burned a lot. I've tried lots of different things and they didn't work. The needs, they, they seem to be endless. They never stop. Where in the world can I find the power to keep on doing this thing you've called me, you're calling us to do? Where do I see change in my own heart? How is it that I find strength when I'm weary? How is it that I find hope when I'm discouraged? Where do I find patience when I'm frustrated? Where do I get endurance when I'm ready to give up? I'm glad you asked. We find it by knowing and continually looking to and by being filled with the spirit of the one true good Samaritan, And that's Jesus Christ. The one who had and who has mercy on us you know, we need to continually remind ourselves where we find ourselves in this story. Where do you put yourself when you're hearing that Good Samaritan parable? For me, I'll be honest, like I'm tempted to put myself in the hero's place and think I'm the one who's going to come along and save the day. And then maybe even after I hear a sermon and I get convicted, I think, you know, man, I'm a lot more like the priest and the Levite. I really need to get my act together. Well, the good news is it's a lot worse than that. Where do we need to see ourselves in this story? We're the one that's left for dead in the middle of the road. In fact, we're worse off than he is. Because he was just mostly dead. But you and I were all the way dead when the one true good Samaritan came and rescued us. We draw our life and strength from the fact that Jesus Christ, the one true good Samaritan, he didn't just have his heart broken for us, but his body was broken for us. It wasn't just his own oil that was poured out for us, but his precious blood was poured out on our behalf. He didn't just stop and help us at the risk of his life, but he came to help us at the cost of his life. Our hope to be able to reverse the question for others is being filled with the spirit of the one who reversed the question for us. I'm so glad today that Jesus didn't look at me it didn't look at you and says, Lord, if I give my life for Thurman, what's going to happen to me? But instead, he reversed the question and said, if I do not give my life for him, if I do not give my life for them, what's going to happen to them? And he did so knowing full well what would happen him but you know what the Bible says it says for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he lives to intercede for us and he pours out his spirit upon us that we might be a people who were left for dead in the middle of the road but now who are healed and put back together and who were raised up to go and love our Samaritans, to reverse the question for the people and the places around us. What about you? What will it mean for you to reverse the question? The place where you start is with Jesus. He's the one who can make us into a people who reverse the question for one another. Before our city, before the world itself, for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the one true good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, who saw us in our flight, literally dead, in our transgressions and sins. But yet, Lord, this good Samaritan didn't leave us lying in our plight in the middle of the road. He came. And gave all of himself until the need was met. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We think of that song. It says your blood has washed away our sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once we were your enemies. But now we're seated at your table. And so with all of our hearts, we say, Jesus, thank you. Lord, help us to be a people that reverse the question in this world, in this city, around us. May we do that for your glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.
0: Amen.